Well, the average person can go about a month without food, but that's not the case with water. With water, most people can go about four or three to four days, and some, some people can actually go a week without water. They can survive a week without water. You see, our bodies are made up of about 60% water. Water is necessary for us to live. We need water for our body to function. We need water for, for us to just be able to do day-to-day -day tasks. We need water. We were created for water. And when your body doesn't get enough water, what happens, and, and the suggested amount is about uh, eight cups a day, when your body doesn't get enough water, it, it feels it. Your body feels it. It goes into what is known as dehydration. And the symptoms of dehydration, um, there's, there's multiple symptoms, but some of them are dry mouth, uh, dizziness, headache, fatigue, and all of that, all of these symptoms can be reversed by you just simply drinking a glass of water. That's really good. I needed a glass of water. <clears throat> we need water. We were created to drink water. We were created to depend on water. Water is important to us. Well, today we're finishing up our series on the moral of the story by looking at 1 Kings chapter 17 and 18, where we're, we're seeing the story of the prophet Elijah. We started with Elijah in the series, we're ending with Elijah, and we're looking at this time when the land of Israel, or, uh, the land of Israel was in a drought. They had no water. And in this time with no water, the land of Israel soon found out that the body, just like the body is dependent on water to live, the land and how they cultivated different foods from the land, the land was actually dependent on water as well. But they were in this three-year drought with no water. And they learned a lot, uh, learned a lot from it. So I want to talk about this story, but before I just jump right into the story of Elijah, I want to actually backtrack a little bit and, and talk about how things got to where they were when this, this drought happened. You see, a long time before that, in the book of Exodus, God's people were in Egypt. They were in slavery, and then God freed his people from slavery, and then what happens? God sent them to the desert. They sent, God sent them to a dry desert, and it was in the desert that the Israelites learned how to depend on God. You see, the desert isn't a place where that, that cultivates a lot of fertile um, soil. It's, it's dry. There's not a lot of water, but they learned what dependence means. They, they were hungry at times. They had no food, but God would send manna, bread from heaven, and they would eat this bread. There were times when they had no water and the Israelites were thirsty, yet God, out of a dry rock, would, per, uh, per, I want to say purse, that's not even a word. He would like pierce water. It would uh, flow through it. That's, I need to think of water adjectives. It would flow through the dry rock and the Israelites would drink water. They learned in the land to depend on God. And some of them, it took them a while to learn these lessons, but they did learn it. Some of them didn't. And then after that, God sent them to the promised land. It was this land that was flowing with milk and honey. It was a fertile land. There was water in this land. But you see, they learned a lot of lessons when they were in the land. When they were in the land, unlike the desert, they had to cultivate their own food. 
They had to depend on rain. They had to depend on water, and they became farmers. Most of them farmed. And during seasons where there was great rain, they loved it because they got great harvest from it. But there were seasons where the rain should have been great, but it wasn't that great, and they weren't able to cultivate a good harvest. Now, this is what happened. They would see their neighbors. There were locals who were there before they got there. And you know the phrase, like, the grass is always greener on the other side? If there was a fence, they probably looked over the fence and like, oh my gosh, their grass is greener. That we are struggling to cultivate this land, but our neighbors, the locals, they're not struggling. How are they doing this? So they went to their neighbors and they said, hey, what's going on? Why are you able to have fresh, uh, fresh produce when we aren't able to have fresh produce? And they said, oh, that's easy. You see, we serve Baal. They said, well, who's Baal? Well, Baal is the god of storm and fertility. What that meant was they said that when there wasn't any water, they would pray to Baal, they would worship Baal, they would sacrifice to Baal, and Baal, he, he literally was the god of rain. And they would, Baal would send rain, they said, and their uh, fields would get water, and their, their produce, their crops were cultivated into this lush lush um, food, this, this, this food that they would eat. And so the Israelites were like, oh my gosh, well, we serve Yahweh, we serve God, we'd never heard of Baal, but man, our crops, they're not, that, they're not doing that well. So the Israelites started to serve Baal and, or Yahweh and Baal. And then after the years and years and years, they soon stopped worshiping Yahweh altogether, and they only worshiped God's like Baal. And they were wondering um, what was, and they only worship uh, Baal. And we get to Elijah then in uh, 1 Kings 17. And this time, Elijah, he, he says he's one of the only prophets left in the town, one of the only prophets in Israel. And there were some people who were still following, uh, still following God, but most of the people weren't. Most of the people were following Baal. And so Elijah went to the Jewish king uh, at that time. His name was Ahab, and because God told him to go to Ahab and tell him something. You see, Ahab, although he should have followed Yahweh, he no longer believed in Yahweh. So um, uh, Elijah went to Ahab and he said, as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, whom I serve, there will, ne uh, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years, except at my word. There won't be any rain. But you see, Ahab didn't care about that. Because Ahab did not believe in Yahweh. Ahab did not believe in Elijah's God. Ahab believed in Baal. And Baal was the god of rain. So Ahab was like, yeah, right. My god is the god of rain. Rain will come. Get out of here. So Elijah left. And so did the rain. You see, there wasn't rain in the land of Israel. Everything became dry and more dry. The days would go, and the streams would become more and more dry. Water was scarce. And the trees that could withstand periods of drought, they were even suffering because there was no dew in the land, and they thrived on the dew. Everything was affected. The land was dehydrated. 
then famine started to come. The food was scarce. And so all of the Israelites and Ahab himself would pray to Baal and they would say, Baal, God of rain, send this rain. But the rain wouldn't come. They would pray to him, provide for us. Our hope is placed in you. But they were left hopeless. And the drought in the land soon became symbolic for their drought with their relationship with Yahweh. Have you ever gone without water before? Just gone without water? Maybe it was intentional or unintentional. I have before. Uh, there was this time, uh, a long time ago, I was with my brothers and some of our friends, and we wanted to go on a hike. And we heard that there was this mountain that we would hike. I don't know who told us this, but I actually, when I was thinking about the story, I, I want to remember who told me this, because they said it was just a really short hike. You'll go up this, this tiny little mountain, and at the top, there's going to be glacial springs, and you'll drink water from the glacial springs. And we just learned in school that you could, I'm from northwest Washington, there's trails everywhere and mountains everywhere, that you could drink from glacial springs without filtering it, and you'll be okay. So we thought, okay, great. I know it's the middle of the summer, I know it's extremely hot, but let's go on this short hike and our reward will be uh, drinking from this, the glacial springs. So let's do it without water. <laughs> and as you probably guessed, it didn't turn out that well. So we went to this mountain when it was in August and really, really hot. We started to walk up this mountain. And the first symptom of dehydration that I had was dry mouth. And then I got dizzy, my headache hurt, uh, my head hurt, and then fatigue. And that was only after like two minutes. I'm just joking. That was, <clears throat> no, but we would hike up this mountain and every minute that would go by, the, every minute the sun would just pound on our bodies, we became more and more dehydrated. We were thirsty. And if you've experienced dehydration before, like your mind goes a little crazy and your body goes a little crazy and you're like, I just need water right now. And I, was, I remember walking up this mountain and just hallucinating and I would see little ponds that, you know, like the, I mean, they were really there, but they were nasty, muddy, sick ponds. And I'm like, all I want to do is drink this water. And I had this inward struggle in me, like, no, Michael, you can't drink this water. I'm like, shut up, you. I need to drink this water. No, you'll die. I don't care. I'm about to die. And then finally, I like snapped out of it and I'm hiking up this hill like a zombie. And then I would see these glittering, beautiful things. There were water bottles really happened. I wasn't hallucinating that bad, but people were hiking down the mountain and I was hiking up the mountain and I would see these water bottles and my mind had this inner monologue since I was so dehydrated. I would be like, hey, I wonder if they're going to offer me this water bottle. I need water. They could see that I'm a stupid dehydrated youth <laughs> and just like limping up this hill and they would come by me and they wouldn't stop and give me their water. And I'm like, Oh my goodness. And this happened over and over and over again. And I was just so mad at humanity that people wouldn't go out of their way and give me their water. And finally, there was this woman coming down and she had the biggest Nalgene ever. And this is when Nalgene, Nalgene's are still cool. This was before Swell. This was like Nalgene was the water bottle. And I saw this big Nalgene and then like, I just like went right in front of her and stopped her. <laughs> And I, she's looking at me like super confused. I'm looking at the water bottle and I start talking to her. And I said, wow, your water bottle just, it looks just so big. 
and the water in it is probably so cool. And she's like, what are you doing? I'm like, oh, and you probably have enough to share with everyone. And man, we're, 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 just, we're just admiring your water bottle. And I think she thought it was like Smeagol for the ring on Lord of the Rings. Like, your water is precious. I don't know. I probably look like Smeagol because I was so dehydrated. But she looked at me, and then she was like, okay, youth, that's great, and, and kind of went beside me. And she left. I was at the point where, you know, when you're younger, I, now I would have just said, hey, can I have some water? But I was just so nervous and germs and all that. But she just left me thirsty. And I was just standing there. Now what's interesting is that at a festival, in a crowd of many people, Jesus stands up and says, let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. Water is necessary for life. We need water to live. If we don't have water, our bodies feel it. And here, Jesus is saying, like, saying that just like we need water to physically live, we need him to spiritually live. That there's a thing that we can um, experience called spiritual thirst. We can become spiritually thirsty. Just like physical thirst is an indicator that we need water, spiritual thirst is an indicator that we need God. Have you ever wondered if there's, there's just something more to this life? Have you ever wondered if you just honestly have a purpose? Do you wonder if there's something after this life, if there's life after death? Do you wonder if, if, if good will actually triumph over evil? If you think about these questions and if you find yourself having any question like this, that's an indication that you are spiritually thirsty. And when we realize that there's thirst in us, what we do is we go and try to find the source that will quench that thirst. So there was Jesus. He was in a crowd at a festival. And at that festival, they were celebrating the end of harvest. You see, it was a good year of harvest, and they were celebrating water. They were celebrating rain. That rain came and produced great crops for them. So they were celebrating. In the middle of that, Jesus stands up and proclaims that he is the true water that he is the true source of life. And at that festival, Jesus saw a lot of people who were physically not, or they were physically no longer thirsty, but they remained spiritually dehydrated. Just like in Elijah's time. Because here's the thing. Deep down inside of all of us, and sometimes we don't know what it is, sometimes we don't know how to explain it, but deep down we have this this. We don't know how to explain it, so we use the word thirst, that we're thirsty for something more. We feel like we were created for something more. And in this very, very beautifully poetic way, Jesus says, come to me. I love you. I want to be intimate, kind of like drinking water. I care about you. I will quench your spiritual thirst. It's fascinating. And in fact, I created water. It's because of me that your physical thirst was quenched. We need God. 
But just like there's physical dehydration when we avoid water, there's spiritual dehydration when we avoid God. We can become or we can experience this spiritual dryness. So in the desert of Judah, David wrote, you, God, are my God. I earnestly seek you. I thirst for you. My whole being longs for you in a dry and parched land where there is no water. You see, David was physically thirsty, but he realized that there was a deeper thirst within him, that he was spiritually thirsty. So David went to the source that would quench that thirst, God. But here's the thing. So often, like the, the people in Elijah's time, when they, when they like, were going to seek Baal, I find myself, when I get in touch with that like, spiritual thirst, I find myself going to things that are not God to quench it. And if you're like me, you might do the same. You might go and try to find something that, that might look like God, or that might quench it kind of like God, but you'll often find that you're thirsty afterwards, or maybe even you're thirstier afterwards. So I don't know if you learned this uh, lesson. If you haven't, I'm about to save your life. You're welcome. But if you're ever stranded on like an ocean by yourself, which hopefully that never happens, they tell you, even though like you're super, super thirsty and there's cold water all around you, to not drink the ocean water. Have we heard that before? Yes. Why? Be I'll tell you. Um, because when you drink, drink it, there's so much salt in the water that when you drink it, your kidneys actually can't process it and you actually become more dehydrated. Even though it looks like fresh water, it's not fresh water. And if you go to it to quench your thirst, you're actually going to be left more dehydrated. And, and it's kind of the same thing with God. We will go to things that, that kind of look like God, that kind of feel like God. We know they're not God, and we'll, we'll drink them, but it ends up leaving us even thirstier. And we live in this area, the Bay Area. I love the Bay Area. I'm originally from Seattle, and I love Seattle, but I, I love this place. And this place is great because it's so innovative. I mean, people create different things and different apps, you name it. We have brilliant people in this room. A lot of you, most of you, um, all of you I'll say, okay, so I'm not offending anyone, uh, are brilliant. You're smart people. You know, it's a very innovative land. And what's interesting about this is I can be at home and be like, I want some Indian food from Zareen's because that's one of the best places ever. And no plug there, I don't know them. And I will go on my app and then just, you know, door whatever, caviar, and they'll come. <laughs> you can tell I use it a lot. Um, <clears throat> they'll come and give it to me. Deep needs like Indian food and other things. You know, this area has this way of creating things that can potentially or that looks like they can quench that deep thirst in us. But here's the thing about the Bay Area. While it's so innovative and there's so many ways that can quench those deep things, statistically, the Bay Area is the driest land spiritually in all of America. The Barna Research Group says that major cities in the Bay Area are number one when compared to other cities in the world with, they're number one with both people who are unchurched and people who get to the area and leave the church. Number one. 
And it's interesting, San Francisco was named after St. Francis. San Jose was named after St. John. But now the culture is considered post-Christian. But regardless of statistics and regardless of demographics, we're all thirsty. Deep down inside, we are thirsty for God. And the question is, what will we drink? What will we go to to quench that thirst? What do you go to? What do you go to to meet that deep need? Jesus said, let anyone, anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. I know it's not on that verse, but it's supposed to be there. <laughs> come to me and drink. But often, we don't. Often we go to money. The desire for power. The desire to be important. We fill that need with alcohol, with sex, with pornography, and maybe other less intense things, but still just as big other people. Relationships. I mean, the, the gym, piling on makeup, Netflix. We go to different things to try to meet our need. And when I go on my quest to try to meet a spiritual need with a physical source, I always end up dry. And I'm a follower of Jesus, and, and I'll, I'll go to these things, or even if I don't go to these things, and I'll find myself wondering, why am I dry? And where is he? And, and, and I want to ask you a question. Are you in a season where you just feel spiritually dry? Where, what are you going to go to to quench that thirst? Now, I just talked about if you're, you're, you're spiritually thirsty and you're trying to go to a different source to, to quench that thirst, we can feel dry. But what about the times when you are actually really trying to follow God? You're trying to follow him. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. If you're in this room, you're not perfect. I'm sorry, because no one is. But you're honestly trying to follow God, but you still feel dry. And you're wondering, why am I dry? Well, the book of Ecclesiastes, chapter 3, it says we all go through seasons. There are seasons in life. And some of the seasons are good, but some of the seasons are dry. And just look at our seasons in general. We have spring where there's water and, 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 and good things grow. We have summer where we get to enjoy what was grown. We get to swim. It's surf. It's great. And then we have fall where it's okay. It's getting a little dark and things are a little rainy still, but not really the good kind of rain. And then you have winter where you're just like frozen and cold and there's no life. And you're wondering like, God, where are you? Why do I feel like you have abandoned me? There's seasons when you're dry. And now here's the thing about dry seasons. What's really interesting when you read different accounts in the Bible, after Jesus was baptized, he came up and it's, the Bible says that the Holy Spirit led Jesus where? To the desert, to the dry desert. He led him there. And the Israelites, after they were um, released and freed from the clutches of Egypt, God didn't send them to the promised land immediately. God sent them where? 
to the desert, to the dry desert. And it wasn't because God was punishing them. It was because God was preparing them, preparing them to depend on him. And if you find yourself in a season where you are dry, Maybe you felt like God brought you to the Bay Area. God brought you to this job. God brought you to school. God brought you here. And for some reason, you're wondering, God, where are you? I heard you. I read your word. And I'm here. But I feel like there's no life. I feel like it's winter. I feel like I'm dry. Where are you? Maybe God isn't punishing you. Maybe God is preparing you. He's preparing you for what's next. And often it takes the dry seasons for us to trust him. But we want water all the time. We want, you know, summer, spring. Think of a plant right here, this plant. What if we just watered the plant and just kept watering the plant and kept watering the plant and kept watering the plant? What would happen to the plant? The plant would drown. The plant would wilt. But when the plant is stopped, when the water stops on the plant, what happens? The, the soil begins to dry and oxygen goes through the soil and reaches the roots. And in the core of what the plant is, life is spread to the plant and the plant begins to grow. We can grow in dry seasons. In fact, it's when we grow the most. A spiritual director by the name of uh, Gurash once said, our temptation in times of spiritual dryness is to seek any opportunity to make it go away. In our efforts to avoid these moments, we may miss the hidden gifts and opportunities to grow and mature in the spiritual life. I mean, no one goes on a, to a tropical uh, island for a vacation for a couple of weeks and comes back and they're like, man, I just laid on a beach. And yes, that would be awesome. But they don't really say, man, I grew so much in my faith. No, we grow in the hard seasons. We grow when it's hard, but we make a decision to cling onto God and to trust him. We grow when it's dry and we make the decision to cling on to God and to trust him in the dry seasons that God, even though it's dry, you are the one that is able to quench my thirst. It's you. And if right now you feel like you're spiritually dry, I honestly think that we're either going into a season where you feel dry. And what that means is you just feel like, like you're not being nourished, like something's happening and something's off. We're either going into a season of spiritual dryness. This is my opinion. You're either in a season of dryness or you're leaving a season of dryness. It's a cycle. And if you feel like you are in a season of dryness in some area, I want to let you know that God has not left you. He's with you. He's close to you. He's growing you. And he's preparing you for what he has next because God has such plans for you. The Bible tells me so. So hold on. The rain will come. After three years, Elijah was was in this three years of dry land, and God told Elijah, go and present yourself to Ahab, and I will send rain into the land. Go present yourself to him. I'm going to send rain. 
So Elijah goes to Ahab, and the story goes that there's this showdown with different prophets of Baal, and then Yahweh is victor, and then what happens is Elijah goes to the top of Mount Carmel, and he goes and he brings this assistant, this, this friend, companion with him, and he goes to pray for rain. Now, what's really interesting about this is God had told him, hey, rain's going to come. Rain is going to come on this land. Get ready for it. But he goes and he prays for it. Has, have you felt that God has told you something that is going to happen to you? Something maybe good. Maybe someone has said, hey, I, I feel like there's a blessing that's going to come. Maybe you read in the word that there is something that's going to come that's going to fill your life. And you're just sitting and waiting for it. What does Elijah do? He hears, but then he goes and prays. He prays for it. And he doesn't just pray. Um, the Bible says that Elijah gets down and puts his head beneath his knees. It was this act of submissive reverence. So Elijah puts his head in his knees and he prays for the rain. And then he gets up and says to his assistant, go tell me that there's a cloud. Go check. His assistant goes and then comes back and says, sorry, boss, there's no cloud. So he prays more for rain. God, send rain. Go check. His assistant goes, and he comes back. He's like, sorry, there's no rain. So he prays again for rain. No rain. Prays again. No rain. Prays again. The sixth time, the guy comes back and says, there is no rain in the land. Have you been praying for something for so long, and it, you just feel so dry, and you're wondering, God, when's the rain going to come? Elijah said, okay. He bent down and he prayed for rain and said, go check. The seventh time, the, the assistant went and he came back and said, man, you won't believe it. There is the tiniest cloud. It's the size of a man's hand and it's rising over the sea. It's the smallest thing, but it's there. And at that, Elijah said, go, tell Ahab that a fierce storm is coming and it's going to drench this parched land. And he went and the storm clouds came rolling in. They were black and they filled the parched land. Baal, the God of rain, could not make it rain, but Yahweh, the God of everything, made it rain. And the land was filled with water. The dry season was over. One of the last sentences in the Bible, in the book of Revelation, one of the last sentences reads, let anyone who is thirsty come. Let anyone who desires drink freely from the water of life. Now, I don't know where you're at today. I don't know if you feel dry uh, for some reason. I don't know if you don't know Jesus or not. Each week we have a ton of new people, and if you're new and you don't know Jesus or you haven't been following God, or if you've been here for a while and, and you, you maybe haven't been following God for a bit and you feel dry, or if you've been following God and there's a particular relationship, a particular area that you've been praying for and praying for, but you still feel dry, hold on. Rain is coming. God is able to bring rain in your dry land. He's done it before and he can do it again. That's who we serve.
And with that, I want to invite everyone to, if you will, close your eyes. We're going to pray. And when Elijah prayed, he positioned his body in a way that represented just submissive reverence. And if you're comfortable right now, I want to invite you to turn your hands up, facing your palms up right now, either on your lap or in front of you. Hold them out if you feel comfortable. And this is to intentionally create another position of submissive reference to God. One that says, God, my hands are out. I'm ready to receive. And God, we come to you tonight. And in our different situations, let's not pretend, God, we don't want to pretend that everything is right all the time. Even in summer, there are dry seasons in our lives. And we choose to just intentionally create space. God, we picture ourselves right now on top of Mount Carmel. It's been dry for years, and you said rain will come, and we picture that rain right now. And in our situation, Jesus, we pray for that cloud. We pray for that rain. Show yourself to us. Be with us. Pour down with your Holy Spirit, regardless of the season that we're in. In your name we pray. Amen.